What is up, everybody? This is Dave Schmidt, the host of the Lasting Learning Podcast. Super pumped that you are here on this podcast. We talk about game changers. We talk to life changers. We talk about things that really matter. So sit back, listen up, and enjoy Lasting Learning. everybody welcome back to another edition of the lasting learning podcast i am so glad you're here and i guarantee that uh, soon you're gonna be glad you're here as well because as you know each week we bring an exciting guest onto the onto the podcast that just amazes us with their wisdom their passion their heart their experience and today is no exception today we've got a guest who's joining us from a faraway land to some of you it may seem mythical it may seem like Narnia, but it's actually just Canada. To me, it's just across the lake. Um, but today we've got Jennifer Casa Todd, who's joining us to share who she is, what makes her tick, what she's passionate about, and, and what she's up to. Jennifer, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, David. Or I should say, hello, eh? <laughs> Thank you for stepping through the portal and joining us on this side. <laughs> I love it. And uh, you may be annoyed by the way I say about, but uh, we're, we'll get through this together. <laughs> well, it's an honor to talk to you today. So. Uh, <laughs> no, Jennifer, I'm, I'm super glad you're here. Uh, you know, I, I follow you all over social media and kind of track who you are and what you're up to, but there might be a couple people in the world that don't necessarily know who you are. So can you just take a minute to introduce yourself? Thank you. Absolutely. So my name is Jennifer Casa Todd. I am in the role of teacher librarian and I'm in Aurora, Ontario, Canada, which if you're trying to figure where that is in the world, it's just north of the six. Um, so just north of Toronto. Um, and I've been a teacher librarian. This is my fourth year. Uh, before that, I was a literacy consultant for the York Catholic District School Board and we serviced 108 schools. Uh, 55,000 students. So that was a roller coaster, amazing ride. Um, and as a literacy consultant, um, I serviced uh, grades 7 to 12, students in grades 7 to 12 and their teachers. And then I was involved in a 21C, it was Journey Towards 2020, where we rolled out um, Chromebooks and iPads. And it was really our uh, way of helping teachers um, infuse their lessons with technology enabled learning and really transformational experiences. And before that, I was I taught everything. I've been in high school for many, many years. Um, I've taught English and cooperative education and religious education and special education um, and ESL. Um, I've taught lots of different humanities courses and uh, love, love being in the high school. I'm also a mom. Uh, one of my daughters is in her second year at university and my other daughter is in grade 12. So she'll be graduating this year. Um, every minute of being their mom has been amazing to me. Um, my husband is an administrator. So um, really interesting to have that lens when we have discussions around education. Um, and he's been an administrator now for four years and before that a business teacher and before that a culinary arts teacher. So I'm very fortunate with the kinds of meals that we have in our house. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, and I mean, and I love to be involved with the community. I was, uh, you know, co-chair of our parent, my daughter's parent council um, for many, 10 years. Um, I'm a GEG leader here in Ontario, which means that I help provide professional learning opportunities 
um, to our GEG, our uh, Google educators in Ontario. Um, just became a Google innovator, and that was exciting and fun. Um, what else? I love to curl. <laughs> which is a very oh, Canadian my thing. Stereotypes. Yes. Yes. I know. So we curl. Um, our season starts Friday, actually. So we're okay. super so excited just, about just that. Just for clarity, those people that okay. are in California and Florida, you know, curling, you know, when the Olympics roll around every four years and we all tune in to watch those people with the brooms on the ice, pushing the stones. That's what she does. She, yeah. are you, do you like push the rock or do, or do you, are you a sweeper? Uh, well, you have to do both. Oh, you wow. Have, okay. Right? Yeah. You have I have to, no idea. You have, to, you have to throw the rock and then you have to uh, to sweep as well on the team. So, yes. Oh, yeah, it's I am a, so glad you brought that out. That just, oh, that, that makes me love you that much more. That's awesome. <laughs> there you go. And I'm in three book clubs and I play Canasta. So, I mean, I just, I love to be busy and I love people. So, you can see me anywhere there are people and, uh, and, different ideas and things I love to learn too. So that's me. That's so cool. So I, I want to try to break down some stereotypes, although I just completely painted a bunch of stereotypes with, <laughs> <laughs> with what it means to be a Canadian. Um, but I, I Wait, talk, stop, I'm stop. Sorry, Am I your first Canadian? No, you're not my first Canadian. Okay. I, I live okay. in Michigan, so I, okay. I get it. But there might be some people tuning in for the first time today because I saw your name. Right. This might be the first time they're talking to a real Canadian. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of a novelty to some people, you know? But okay. I'm going to okay. try to break down some, some other stereotypes, uh, primarily the stereotype around being a, a school librarian, okay? And I know you, you do more than the stereotypical librarian, but when I was in school, uh, elementary, middle school, and high school, there would be a person who sat behind a circulation desk who would make sure that books were lined up according to the Dewey Decimal System, uh, would sometimes help me figure out which encyclopedia to go get so I could finish my research project, and uh, would sometimes also help teachers cut out materials for their bulletin boards. But when you just described all the stuff you, you do and that you are an expert in, um, it didn't sound like the old school librarians that I experienced. Has it changed or have you changed it? I am so happy you asked that question, David. Um, uh, teacher librarians are basically the instructional slash technology slash curriculum slash assessment leaders in the school from my perspective. So when I was a literacy consultant at the board, um, I was supporting teachers and students with uh, literacy initiatives, um, you know, reading and writing and oral communication and media. And then I was helping them to um, amplify their teaching uh, and differentiate instruction as well as help assess students using technology. And what drew me to the role of teacher librarian in a school was that I could basically do very similar things to what I was doing in that role at the board, but in a school. So I got the benefit of seeing kids every single day instead of every once in a while. And I could work with teachers in one building because I really missed sort of being a part of a school community. But that's what teacher librarians do. And, and this, uh, you know, woman, you know, person who wears the spectacles and shushes you at the, uh, the circulation desk is just not the way it is, or at least not the way it should be. Um, many of the teacher librarians in, in my school district are incredible resources for their teachers. 
And I'm part of the, I forgot to say in my intro that I'm one of the ISTE librarian board members. And certainly around that table, I can tell you that is very, very true. Um, you just have to go to ISTE Lib, uh, the hashtag ISTE Lib on Twitter or TL Chat on Twitter, and they're, they're incredibly resourceful people. So my role as a teacher librarian, I tell my teachers all the time, and sometimes they go, really? is to co-plan, co-teach, and co-assess with you. Mm. And, you know, and, and to provide that support that as a classroom teacher, you may not have the time to do. So right now we're working um, on Pernell Rip's uh, Global Read Aloud. And yeah. there's an English teacher who loves the idea about it, of it, but doesn't have a Twitter account and doesn't know how to connect globally and doesn't know how to use Flipgrid, for example. So the two of us get together and we provide this opportunity for our students um, in, by co-teaching it. Um, and so the teacher has support. Um, the students have an additional support mechanism in their school and we work together and it's you know, that's just one example. I mean, I'm working with geography teachers and we're creating an amazing race um, in a collaborative project we're gonna launch to the world. We've, I've got, I'm working with religion classes. We're working on design thinking and the sustainable development goals. Mm. Um, so it's, and, and I ha I'm fortunate because I have a library technician that does some of the work you're talking about. So she's able to check in the books and, and help me with technology, with the ins and outs. Mm. Um, and I, she's amazing. And so that allows me to do do um, the teaching, that, which is really a, my first love, but also what I think this role is all about. So cool. It, so you're, you're really helping lead innovation and help people find the resources to innovate. That, mm -hmm. That's so cool. And, and I love the lens that you're, you're looking at it um, through. You're, you're, you see your job is to really support the teachers so that they can help support the students. That's, mm -hmm. that's really cool. That's really powerful, maximizing and leveraging your, your leadership. In your personal world, you've got two, um, two girls that are teenagers that, or maybe not teenagers anymore, but they have gone through the system and have gone through this technological evolution right along with you. Do they inform you or do you help inform them? How does that dynamic work? Well, um, one of the things that I've, I've really tried to do throughout them growing up, I mean, we started with the DS, right, into our home and trying to balance technology of the DS. I don't know if you even remember what that is. Um, and my kids love to game um, and they're on social media. So it really is symbiotic. I make sure um, that I enter in dialogue with them about everything. If I have any questions, they're the first people I ask. I learn from them, I think, as much as they learn from me. Um, and, and I think, and that's the stance I take when I, because I do workshops with parents and I'm currently writing a parent book. And that's so important because um, if my kids are in trouble in any way, online or offline, um, I have established a strong relationship of trust with them, so they will come to me. Um, and, and I think that's what we need to do. I mean, if sometimes we're just so fearful of the technology and we worry that we don't understand it and know it. But at the very foundation of teaching and the very foundation of parenting is that developing that relationship of trust, of understanding, of boundaries, right. of, you know, of balance, um, expectation so that they grow up 
to independently be able to, to do some of these things on their own. But if they're having trouble or they have questions that they come back to you, that has been my experience anyway. So it's really been symbiotic. It's been both. But it's comforting to hear um, because I, I'm a father of four kids. My oldest is 13. And I'll, I'll tell you, sometimes I've got the little devil and angel that sit on my shoulder and trying to argue with myself as to how to approach technology, social media, all of that stuff with my own kids, especially my 13 year old. There's the educator side in me that says, no, my job is to help inform him, give him access to all of these things and show him the way. But then there's the other side of me, the dad side of me that says, but I don't know the way. I don't have the answers. It's easier just to rip all that stuff out of the wall, throw it in the trash and say he'll figure it out when he leaves the house. And I have that own internal conflict. I know other people do as well. How, yeah. how do you handle that? So um, my advice is, um, and Deborah Heitner does a good job with this. She talks about mentoring over monitoring, yeah. um, staying involved. I mean, there are some things that are non-negotiable in our house, like the devices in your, in your bedroom. Um, you know, anytime I've talked to parents where negative things have happened, it's because the device has been in the bedroom, um, you know, late at night, any kind of cyberbullying or any kind of that sexual stuff that, that, that may happen, right? And you said access to the world. You, yes, you're giving your kids access to the world. Um, on the other side of it, I have seen parents who restrict to the point where their kids can't use anything. Um, and that hasn't worked out well. Um, because what happens is sometimes the like, social media is social currency for kids. Right. And so everybody else is on it and they aren't on it. And it's not just, it's not just them saying it. In some cases, everybody else truly is on it and they're not on it. So as a parent, you have to, you have to be able to ensure that your kids are safe, but also that you don't close them off from opportunities. And some opportunities are socializing with friends. Yeah. Um, so, you know, 13 is the age, and this is what I tell parents all the time. So if Snapchat or TikTok or whatever it is that they're using right now, if the age is 13, well, what's your stance as a parent? Well, there's 13 is an age for a reason. Um, so we need to have this conversation. I'm not willing to let you do this on your own. I'm paying for your cell phone. Talk to, like, what is this going to look like in order for me to trust you with this device that can give you the world um, in such a positive way, but can also, um, you know, can also be potentially negative. Um, so, um, and the American Pediatric Society has a really cool family media plan. Um, I don't use the whole thing, it's very, very long, um, but certainly as a springboard for those conversations and for a contract with your child. Um, you know, developing guidelines, developing habits that are healthy for your whole family. Um, very, very important. And then watching what you do in terms of modeling. So we sometimes say to our kids, you know, get off your device and don't do this and don't do this. And, then, and yet they're in the playground and we have our phone or we're at the table and we have our phone and our kids see that, right? And, you know, the theory of observational learning tells us we kind of have to abide by the same guidelines if you're going to co-construct them together with your family. Sure. What, what we do, they do. So how do we, how do we break that? Let me, I'll tell you my own personal struggles a little bit. And, um, so I, I've grown up in this, this digital age and I'm one of those people who probably some, some of the other people out there listening to this podcast right now struggle with this as well, where social media ha at times becomes competitive. It's no longer a place where you just go to 
to share who you are. It's where you try to create who you are. And yes. you try to put up this facade, not to, to show yourself to the world, but to try to generate likes, to try to generate followers, to create this fake identity. And mm -hmm. then we step back into what's considered the real world and we struggle with who we are. We struggle with accepting and finding out who we are because we, we are almost living these two separate lives. And I see sometimes my own son has that same, that same struggle, not necessarily with social media, but whether it's Fortnite or gaming, whatever it is, he goes online and that's one persona and mm -hmm. that becomes his reality. And he wants to stay in that reality as long as possible. So me pulling the plug, you're telling him you've got time limits. It's like, it's almost like a death sentence for him. I mean, really, I, he feels like I'm shutting him out from all socialization, the ability to be in his world that he has created. And some would call it an addiction. Some would call it um, just living in fantasy. I don't, I don't know what people would call it, but it, it's real. I mean, as an adult, I've experienced it. So I know that he's experiencing it. And it is a struggle to help him understand where the real world ends and where the real world begins. Do you have any advice, <laughs> any guidance for either adults or kids? I mean, save me and save, save the kids. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, so I would say that what you just expressed, this developing an identity is, is a natural part of adolescence. I okay. mean, if you, if you think about what you did too, right? Like I yeah. pretended that I saw, I met Duran Duran. Like I, that was not reality, <laughs> but, but I did, right? So I think as parents, we have to sometimes ground um, our decisions and our feelings on what is a normal part of adolescent development. Um, you know, what's, what, what does that look like? Right. Yeah. And then what you said about, you know, he's in this world and he's got this persona Well, that, even just the fact that you're having a conversation with him about that is super, super important. Um, one of the things that I always bring up and it's just such a simple concept. And yet as parents, because, parents never learn media literacy. I talk about the media triangle as being foundational to remembering what, what is it that you're consuming here. And the media triangle, if you've never seen it, it's just a triangle and it has, uh, of course, I'm going to forget it, text and then audience and then product. Mm -hmm. And so, and it's simply reminding kids, um, certainly you know, today in one of the classes we were talking about body image and social media, right? Reminding kids that everything that they see, every video game, every Instagram post, every Snapchat post, every YouTube video is a construct. It's not reality. Someone has put that together for a certain reason. Mm -hmm. And when we unpack that with kids, when we say, Okay, talk to me about this really this world that you've created. Who was it? You know, what's going on in that world? What? Uh, how do you feel when you're in this? Like, does when do you feel really good about yourself? When do you feel not so good about yourself? Um, and that's sort of interrupting what they because you're saying it feels real, but it's not real. So bringing them back to this idea that it is a construct. Why might? Um, the game developer want to keep you in this reality yeah, well, because yeah. they're making money, sure. right? So, so it's that, you know, why might this Instagrammer be posting about this makeup? Well, possibly sponsored. Why might, you know, we take a look at this picture of this woman, you know, that 
or, or this man or whatever the case may be, how many pictures? And so I'll, I'll do a think aloud, right? Um, and I'll say, like, how many, how many pictures do you think it took to get that beautiful, right? Are we comparing our unfiltered selves to filtered selves of others? Absolutely we are. Are we looking at this construct of a world as a real world? And so I think just having those conversations about the fact that media is a construct, the fact that media has values, right? That someone has put this together. The fact that, that media is trying to sell us something. Um, these are important dinner time conversations that we need to continue to reinforce um, because kids don't know that inherently. We need to interrupt what that narrative looks like and have those conversations. And you might be thinking, well, those conversations, they're falling on deaf ears because the deaf ears rather, because my kid still wants to be there and be that as it may over time, when you continue to emphasize those kinds of things, they will start to recognize that, okay, well, every media now is a construct. Yeah. You know, that TikTok that looks flawless um, maybe took them four hours to create. Uh, I, I think that that brings up a lot of amazing points. So uh, I'll deconstruct the whole conversation about the construct. And I'm going to encourage teachers, you know, even teachers that are out there looking for that perfect lesson, Pinterest and Teacher Pay Teacher are in business for a reason as well, and it's to make money. They, are, they only put the, the package perfect proposals out there for people to, to try to pick up on. So you don't have to have a classroom that looks just like what you found online. I would argue that one of the, the struggles we're facing here in the States, I'm sure they're in Canada too, far, far away, is you know we've got, we've got standards, for example, that tell us that students have to be able to cite textual evidence. They have to be able to go find evidence to support their claim. And we've gotten ourselves to the point where we're teaching kids that as long as you can find it in print, it's good enough. Just cite your source. You don't have to evaluate it. You don't have to try to figure out the construct. But you're, you're, you're explaining things perfectly. All media is there for a reason. And I don't want to say it's all slanted and it's all out there for, as a money grab, but the nightly news has commercials in it for a reason. Your newspaper has ads for a reason. Um, Twitter, Facebook, all of these things are out there for a reason. And we have to be able to sift through that so we can start to determine what's real and what's not. So that, that's an awesome point. Well, and one of the, so I get to work with uh, career studies classes and I was with them last week. And one of the questions, one of the things that kind of irks me a little bit, and I do touch on this in social media, but I, I touch, I talk about this with kids all the time. So there are some classes that are now all about branding, personal branding. So yeah. The, you're putting your best foot forward because you want a job. And I always ask them, so what is the online and offline you like? Like, are you just creating a brand for yourself? How do we reconcile this brand, quote unquote, with who you really are? Right. Is it possible to be yourself online? and you know and still be marketable and that's one of the things i strive to achieve so i i always do a little thing with them and i just say okay characteristics that you want an employer to know about you and then i ask them to google themselves or look at their social media and i ask them what are the character traits that you would get from just looking at your social media account and what do you think about that let's have a conversation and so i have them do that about me and i and i write down three character traits that i believe embody me um, and then i ask them to look me up 
and I say, what do you think? Have I done an, a, a decent job of being the same person online as I am offline? And a lot of them like, you know, say yes. And so that's what I challenge them to do. The older they get, the easier it becomes. Right now in high school, they don't want to have that professional account. They don't. Um, they would rather not have their social media be anything except about entertainment and about, you know, those funny memes or whatever the case may be. Um, but many of them start to really think about that. And that's all I want them to do. I want them to think about who they are online and who they are offline. Um, you know, I think it's Nathan Jorgensen who talks about digital dualism and how, you know, increasingly those are enmeshed, yeah. right? Who you are on Facebook, is it just putting your face their best face forward? Or, you know, do you have a, 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 do people have a sense of who you really are and how do we move towards that? That's, that's something I keep asking myself over and over again. Now it's, it's cool. And, you know, before I started recording uh, tonight, I, we kind of talked about the evolution of this podcast and I, I said that the podcast really took off when I started having conversations about people just trying to figure out who they really are. And I think that that really resonates with people when they can just, when they connect with the reality of the person not, not necessarily the image. And it, when you were just talking, this reminded me of a situation in my own life four years ago. So four years ago, I, I had a book come out and I was told by an advisor that I needed to go up and set up a separate social media account for my book because they wanted to make sure that my, who I was as a person in my own personal life didn't necessarily mesh with that professional author image. And I, I refused. Um, and I said, no, I, who I am needs to be who I am. But I know there's a lot of people that, that disagree with that philosophy and that, that's fine. I get it. But what I'm hearing you say is it's important that we recognize that at times people can perceive us as two different people. But we have to recognize that in ourselves. We have to make sure that we are truly evolving who we are, not just this facade, this image that we project to the world. I, I, another bad example, and I'm saying this as I'm thinking about it, so I apologize but I watch the show Shark Tank all the time. I'm a huge fan of Shark Tank. And Shark Tank, the people always stand up and they give this pitch about some product that they have that they are so proud of. Um, and they share their marketing campaign and all the stuff that they're doing behind it. And most of the time the sharks are super impressed and they always say, can we try a sample? And it's that sample that makes or breaks the deal. And I think that's the reality of this too, that kids these days, they're out there creating this great marketing campaign for who they are. And then they're going to step out in the world and people are going to sample the product. And it's important that the sample matches what's been marketed. Otherwise, there's this huge disconnect and people aren't going to relate. One of the things I really appreciate about you right now through this interview is the sample that I'm experiencing matches the product. You know, everything I've read, everything I follow, you are the same person. And that's, that's, that's refreshing. So I appreciate that. Oh, thank you. Um, it's so interesting. So I was at the Google Innovator Academy a couple of weeks ago, as I was saying, and, uh, even when you look at what Google is looking for in an employee, because they had a really great culture panel um, and we were just asking the Googlers some questions. And first and foremost, are you a good person? Right. That is what they want to know. Are yeah. you a problem solver? Are you creative? I mean, there are definitely questions in, in the interview that are going to get at that. Um, you know, can you make this code better perhaps? Um, but are you a good person? And I think at the end of the day, 
um, you know, you may choose as a kid, like there are kids who choose to have different identities. But I think what we need to do as educators and as parents is we really need to remind our kids that they just need to be good people. And, you know, it's Digital Citizenship Week. We need to be good people to, we need to be good to each other online yeah. um, as well. And, and that's where that media triangle comes in too, because I think you know, so often social media can be a place of silos, but for me, I genuinely love to seek out perspectives from people that aren't in my, my physical community, because right. how else would I get them? Yeah. And that's what I love about the global read aloud for these kids, the ability to chat. Like, you know, we connected with a, a teacher in Sweden and I didn't know anything about the indigenous people in Sweden. Like yeah. we're able to do that today. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so let's, let's focus on kindness and empathy and compassion and let's do it online and let's do it offline. So good. So good. And for those people that have listened to this podcast for a while now, they're going to recognize what you just said. I had a guy by the name of Mike Lippa on um, two or three months ago, and he's uh, an executive at Snapchat. And he said the exact same thing. Snapchat, this digital innovator, this, this tech, technological um, company, what they're looking for in their employees are people that are just good people, people that can connect, people that can form relationships, people that are kind and the, 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 the other skills, they can teach that, but they're looking for people that really have those soft skills that can really take things to the next level. I am so going to listen to that podcast. <laughs> it's cool. I love good. that. And I should say that I've been influenced. I mean, I joined Twitter in 2011. And I mean, George Kuros definitely walks this walk and talks this talk. Dean Shiresky, Alec Kuros. Yep. Um, there are a, a great number of giants upon which, you know, I stand. A lot of great Canadians, um, as you just mentioned. And lot, <laughs> exactly, purposefully mentioning the Canadians here. Um, but, but certainly you could say the same about them as well, right? Um, just really good, generous, supportive people. And there are tons of them on Twitter, but increasingly there are also people who are not as kind. And I continue to be um, saddened by that because I know that, um, that our next, the next generation is watching us. And, so um, you know, when we're watching each other and it just isn't, isn't the best thing to be observing. Let's put it that way. And if we want to change, then we just need to change it. We need to all get together and change that. So good. So good. You mentioned changing. I'm going to, I'm going to, this can be a bad segue, but I'm going to go there. So your social media book came out a little bit more than two years ago now. Right. And at the time it deals a lot about technology and social media and so on and so forth. And even in these last two years, a lot has changed. You know, a lot has evolved. Um, new technologies have emerged, but yet some things have stayed the same. So the stuff we're talking about right now, these are eternal practices that they're never going to go away, which makes your book completely timeless. But there are some things that have changed. What, what kinds of things have you seen change just since you became this designated expert um, with the publication of your book? So the first thing is that um, I just finished my master's in curriculum and technology with a focus on social media and adult mentorship. Wow. And so um, I, I feel like more than ever before, I'm in tune with the power of adult mentorship or, or student to student mentorship sure. in a way that I wasn't when I was first uh, writing the book. 
Um, at the time I wrote the book, there was also um, very little research that supported the idea of addiction. Um, and now I think, I don't know that there's a whole lot more that could substantiate uh, social media addiction, so to speak, but definitely there is more of a narrative and more research studies out there that are speaking to kids who, um, and even in my own experiences, kids who won't give me their cell phone for a Chromebook, mm -hmm. um, right? Um, because they're becoming a little bit more, and I still don't like the word addiction. Um, I'm going to stick to that with what we, uh, what I said in social media, but, um, but becoming more tech dependent. And so I think that the onus um, on us to work with kids who are younger um, is more prevalent to me than, than it may have been when I wrote social media. But uh, it's interesting what you say about the timelessness. So there are some statistics and we are um, thinking about doing a bit of an update for that. But I have teachers who have read the book right now and um, it, it speaks to them. And I'm just so humbled by that, right? When a teacher says, this book has spoken to me and has changed my views and changed my practice. Mm -hmm. I'm like, wow. Right. Um, there, there, there are things in that book um, that we need to remind ourselves of. And that is that there are students out there in spite of us, <laughs> perhaps um, doing pretty awesome things um, using social media and celebrating them is something that I continue to do with my own podcast. Um, whenever I meet an amazing kid, I shine a light on them, um, either in my blog or on, on the podcast. And so um, those areas, I think, are timeless. But other things, you're right, the statistics have changed. Um, even there was a, a Common Sense Media study that showed just the number of students now with their own devices. Right. Or the number of students using social media multiple times a day. Like the the numbers keep increasing. So our responsibility, I think, co-responsibility with communities and families um, is to not teach as if social media doesn't exist. We have to teach. Um, we, when we teach media, we have to include social media in it because that's where our kids get our news. That's where our kids socialize. That's where yeah. our kids spend a lot of their time. That's so true. I, I'll just talk about this morning. This morning, before I go to work every day, I sit down and I watch a few minutes of Good Morning America. And my 13-year-old came down and told me about the story that was airing because he had just seen it on Reddit. He said, oh, I just, I just, I just read about this. I, let me just tell you what's happening. I'm like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? <laughs> but he wakes up every morning, grabs his phone, and takes a look at Reddit. And it's so true. We, we, our kids are two steps in front of us. And we can either sit back and say, go ahead and figure it out, or we can try our best to keep up. And... Uh, shape and inform them. If nothing else, if you can't embrace the technology, at least embrace the other pieces that you described. Yeah. Um, well, and, and I think the key is journeying alongside okay. um, because it's going so quickly. Right. And, and we we're we're more fearful of pressing buttons that might <laughs> bring us somewhere, you know, in, in the wrong direction, whereas, yeah. whereas the kids are not, you know. Yeah. Um, and so really we're going alongside them, making sure because we are important as guides on the side, like we are as teachers, you know, yeah. those questions, you know, they won't stop and ask those questions about, you know, whose voice is missing, how, you know, what, what does that missing voice, you know, take away from the conversation? You know, how is this a business? How is this a construct? They won't ask those questions. That's where we have those questions. Yeah. You know, these are timeless questions. Um, they just, what they're using um, is different. And I think as long as we 
um, we ground ourselves in that, I think we're okay. We'll be okay. Would you be an advocate for adults that are 40 years plus going out and if they're not comfortable with Twitter or Snapchat or TikTok or any of those things saying, okay, you need to go get those tools so you can figure them out or should they just stay in their lane and so, <laughs> so here, here's the problem. The minute we move towards one of those, uh, one of those platforms, kids will go away, right? <laughs> so, you know, my kids don't use Instagram anymore because I'm there. Like they'll oh, use man. other things. Um, but I absolutely do. Um, and that's one of the things I think, you know, I'm on Snapchat and I'm on, a, I'm on Snapchat with a group of friends so I can learn how to use it and I know what questions to ask. And I know busy parents come to my sessions and they go, is this woman seriously advocating that I go and, do, and create a Snapchat account? Like I don't have enough things to do. And, and that's not for everybody. But, I, but if your kid is going to spend time there, then you need to know what it's all about. You would right. never let your nine-year-old kid go to a playground, you know, four blocks down the road completely by themselves. Why are we so okay to send them on Snapchat, you know, yeah. completely by themselves? Like there really has to be, especially when they're young, um, you know, especially when they're still listening to us and not listening to their peers, um, we just have to establish some guidelines we have to be able to ask questions and not in a well this is stupid kind of way right like we need to my kids light up when I ask them can you show me this and they can show me something and it doesn't yeah. does it matter if they're showing me snapchat versus you know how to create a lego block like does it matter what they're showing me the fact is they're showing me something we're having a conversation we're developing a relationship I now know what it is that is maybe important to her um, and I might be able to ask the right questions um, at the right time in a way that I would never be able to if I just said, oh, they're kids, they, they know what they're doing and I don't, ha, 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 you know? You're, you're inspiring me right now because, again, I'm, gonna, I'm thinking to my own life. My 13-year-old is obsessed with Fortnite. I can't tell you how many times he's asked me to play Fortnite with him and I always say, oh, I hate that game. No, I've got other things to do but he wants me to be a part of his world. He wants me sitting right next to him. It, he doesn't care if I'm good. He doesn't care if I like the game. He just wants, it's, it's like when I was a kid and I played basketball, I just wanted my parents in the stands. I wanted them to be there supporting me. And after the game, celebrating something I did, or if they didn't understand something, asking me questions about the, the plays that we ran, you know, because it was important to me. And I, I, I'm hearing you loud and clear. This is, this is their world that they're living in. And if this is what they're embracing, it's up to us to come alongside of them, to show them support, to love them, to care for them, and to keep them safe. 100%. Awesome. That was so good. So good. So thank you for, for speaking to me. If, if nobody else, you spoke to me today. So tonight, I'm playing Fortnite with my son. If anybody wants to join in, you know where to find me. Well, um, let me know how that goes. <laughs> yeah, right? I'm sure I'll be, I'll be toast in no time. So, um, so Jennifer, I, I've taken a lot of your time here, but... I always wrap up by just reminding people that this is truly the most popular podcast on the planet. We have 7 billion people that are going to tune in to listen to you today. And this is your opportunity. You can tell them anything you want to tell them. This is your opportunity to say, here's what we need to do for schools, for kids, for parents, whatever. If you had the opportunity, which you do right now, to have a captive audience to just listen to you, give us your wisdom. Drop the mic. 
Oh, gosh, on the spot. I think um, one of my favorite lines in social media, and it's something I live by, and that is that any tool can be used to build someone up or tear them down. Mm. And I truly, truly um, call you all to action to use those tools at our fingertips to build people up. Because I think the, the world will be a better place if we all did that. So good. So good. I think that's a great place to leave it. So build each other up, make this world better. Those soft skills are often the hard skills. So focus in on them. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I have had so much fun. (laughs) Thanks for traveling through the portal and joining the rest of us. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Did you enjoy this episode? I hope so. If you did, feel free to keep listening by subscribing right now to the Lasting Learning Podcast and get new episodes as soon as they're released. Interested in knowing more about me, Dave Schmidt? Well, feel free to find out what makes me tick by reading one of my books, Bold Humility, or It's Like Riding a Bike. Feel free to check them both out on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or directly on my website, Schmidt.net. That's S-C-H-M-I-T-T-O-U dot net.